democracy draws its authority from rule of law, which relies on facts. So when a portion of the population lets go of facts, democracy is in danger. That's where we are now. Hello, and welcome to the Politics Girl podcast. I'm your host, Lee McGowan. Let's get into it. Today's episode is a candid conversation with return guest, author and lawyer Terry Canefield. Terry has published over a dozen books, as well as articles, essays, stories, and legal briefs over the past 30 years. Her political analysis has been used in The Washington Post, CNN, NBC, and most major news outlets. She's one of my go-to lawyers because of her brilliant insight on legal and constitutional matters. Terry is a careful and thoughtful thinker who doesn't get caught up in the drama of the moment. She's always stood firm in the idea that despite the fact that we were chomping at the bit for justice, it was good news for the health of the rule of law that the DOJ was being methodical and careful not to rush the process or abandon the rules simply because we wanted certain results for certain people. The Republican Party has made it very clear that they are ready to abandon democracy and the rule of law, and we shouldn't help them do that by abandoning the rule of law ourselves. No matter how hungry we are for justice, playing by the rules, no matter how irritating that feels sometimes, is the only way to move forward if we want to keep living in a country with rules. I'm having her on today to do a Where Are We Now end-of-year wrap-up for the various Trump indictments and to discuss her recent series she did on her blog about the panic misinformation cycle that is making this country crazy. So without further ado, please welcome lawyer, author, and one of my favorite legal experts, Terry Canefield. Welcome back, Terry. Thank you for having me back. It's nice to be here again. Well, it's great to have you. Your take on these indictments has been vindicated so many times that I hope you can give us some insight into where we are now and what we can expect kind of moving forward. Thank you. Hope so. Okay, so let's get right into it. Let's start with a quick update of the Trump criminal trials. There are three criminal cases in the works, four if we count the New York civil fraud case, five if we add the E. Jean Carroll sexual abuse case. But the three criminal cases are the DOJ Washington, D.C. January 6th case, the DOJ Florida stolen documents case, and the Georgia RICO case. So where do we stand with these three cases? All three cases are currently in the stage of pretrial motions. This is when the defense lawyer scrutinized the prosecutor's case, looking for weaknesses. The defense then files motions trying to chisel away at the prosecutor's case. So the defendant will try to get the case dismissed, or will try to suppress evidence, or will try to eliminate some of the charges. The general rule is that the stronger the prosecutor's case, the less likely a pretrial motion will benefit the defendant. So the prosecution can file motions as well. So the theory is that the two parties... They are two parties, even though one is the government with all the power and one is the defendant. The two parties work out as much as they can privately. Um, I'll add that in these negotiations, the government, again, has all the power. And depending on how strong the case is, that's how much power the government has. So um, what they do is they try to work things out and then they file motions when they need to, the judge to step in and make a decision. So, for example, the defense thinks that the prosecutor is wrong as a matter of law. First, they try to persuade the prosecutor that they're wrong and should drop the case. If the prosecutor doesn't agree, then they can file a motion with the court. Okay. And are there any motions that the defense has been filing that you think we should be worried about? Well, if by worry, you mean, are there motions that might help Trump secure an acquittal or get the charges yeah. dropped 
or really help them. I, I don't see any. Um, but there are a few interesting motions. And by interesting, I mean that they raise interesting legal issues, by which I mean that the law isn't completely clear. So we're not exactly sure what will happen. Okay, give me an example of an interesting motion. Well, one involves Trump's claim that he has absolute immunity from criminal liability. Okay, okay, but he lost that one, right? I mean, didn't he make some crazy argument that basically made him sound like he was an omnipotent king who could do anything he wanted? Yes and yes. Um, <laughs> he, he argued that the impeachment clause in the Constitution gives the president absolute immunity from criminal liability for any actions carried out within the outer perimeter of his duties if he wasn't first impeached and removed from office. Okay, well, give me a break. That's not real. It, it, no, it, was, it was creative. The impeachment clause <laughs> basically says that if a president commits an impeachable act, First, he's impeached by the House of Representatives. Then he's tried in the Senate. If he's convicted, he's removed from office. After he's out of office, he is subject to indictment for lawbreaking. Now, the order here makes sense. The president has a job to do, which he can't do if he's fighting a criminal indictment or serving time in prison. So first, remove him, then prosecute him. Okay, but... How does that clause give Trump absolute immunity? If it says a president can be prosecuted after leaving office, doesn't that mean the opposite of what they're arguing? It, it does. It, it, it doesn't help him. It, he's arguing that because the clause finds, a, finds that first a president is impeached and then he's removed and then he's prosecuted, he says, well, if you weren't removed by the Senate, if you weren't prosecuted by the Senate, then you can't be indicted afterwards which, um, of course, is silly for lots of reasons. Not all lawbreaking is subject to impeachment, which means that if the president commits any act, that's if he breaks the law in a way that's not considered a high crime or misdemeanor, then he won't be impeached and he won't be removed. And what if you don't know about the crime that he committed until later? Right. Then really, you're supposed to go back and impeach him after he's out of office. It's, it's all silly. Um, that's why the court said no. And the court took the argument apart, really, with scorching language. Um, for example, the court said, whatever immunities the president may enjoy while president, the position does not confer a lifelong get-out-of-jail-free pass. Right. It's, so he, he also claimed, this is also a funny part of our creative part of his claim, um, he claimed that he has absolute immunity from criminal prosecution for any actions within the outer perimeter of his duties as president. The language actually comes from civil immunity for officers. That's where he gets the outer perimeter of his outer duties. Outer perimeter, yeah. That's, right. That comes from a different um, doctrine. But here's his argument. He says, everything I said and did involved official discussions with official people, which, according to his theory, means that everything he did was official. Now, of course... Plotting to overturn an election is obviously not an official duty, so the court made mincemeat of his arguments. Now, the motion to dismiss, based on the claim of absolute immunity, is interesting, not because he will win on appeal. He won't. He's interesting because he can, it can, bring, he can bring the appeal now instead of later. So most appeals are taken after the trial. Yeah, after. So what, what makes this interesting, he can appeal right now. So what's interesting is we really don't know the procedures for how this works. Um, and how long it might take, because we only actually have law from the Ninth and the Seventh Circuits, um, and the D.C. is a separate circuit. This kind of thing just doesn't happen all that often. And so 
We're not really sure what the procedure will be. Um, now, what Trump is hoping, and he got some headlines um, from his hope, um, that this will delay the proceedings. The subtitle said, Trump hopes this will delay his um, his proceedings. I'm like, well, the fact that he hopes it really isn't like worthy of a headline, right? Um, it's what he hopes. Yeah, well, the New York Times is doing us a major disservice, putting up a lot of stuff that should not be in a headline. So he's hoping this will delay the procedure. Will it? Uh, for that to happen, two things would have to happen. First, the Court of Appeal, the D.C. Court of Appeal, would have to drag its feet. And that is not happening. Okay, so the D.C. Court right. of Appeal is on this. Remember, the D.C. Court of Appeal has been seeing all of these um, cases from the January 6th indictments. They know what's going on, and they're moving quickly. And so right. they would have to say, oh, I think we'll just like sit on this for the usual three or four. Now, my clients um, had to wait a long time for their appeals because ordinarily you do. But the courts are very aware of the public interest right now. And so it will move quickly. The other thing that would have to happen is the Supreme Court would have to step in and basically derail everything and say, we're going to hear this on appeal because it's an interesting issue. It isn't. And we're going to take our sweet time. <laughs> So the Supreme Court would have to literally jump in and help him out. And since he lost the election in, on November 3rd, 2020, the Supreme Court has consistently ruled against him. They ruled against him in the election fraud cases. They could have helped him derail the January 6th proceedings. They didn't. They rejected his claims of executive privilege anytime time he raised him. This is executive privilege like on steroids. They didn't like executive right. privilege. They're not going to like absolute criminal immunity from anything he does. Um, so there's no reason to believe that the Supreme Court or the appellate court would do something they've never done yet in a very, very, very important case that everybody's watching, that they would say, oh, let's help out Trump and derail it for a year. Well, you also mentioned a gag order issue was interesting, right? So why is that? Because didn't that gag order just get reinstated? The Manhattan gag order was reinstated. So there are two okay. gag order proceedings, right? There's the one in the Manhattan civil fraud case and uh, the one in the D.C. case. Mostly because he can't keep his mouth shut anywhere. <laughs> he can't keep his mouth shut anywhere. Um, yeah. Right. So the thing about the gag orders is this is super, super interesting. It doesn't have much or anything to do with the merits of the case. It has to do with whether he can, you can shut him up now. This is super interesting to First Amendment geeks, and I'll count myself among them. And so one of the reasons I'm watching this one is because it, it has the potential to make new law. I'll explain. So first, I'll tell you the weaknesses in the D.C. gag order and why the Manhattan okay. gag order is stronger. And by weaknesses, what I mean is it raises more First Amendment issues. Okay. So the D.C. gag order, among other things, prevents Trump from talking about the special counsel. The special counsel is a public figure holding government power. That's Jack Smith. Right. Jack Smith, a person who ha holds a tremendous amount of government power. So the New York gag order, in contrast, prevents Trump from talking about a court clerk who is not a public figure. She doesn't hold any power. Now, Trump tried to argue that she is a public figure who holds power. It didn't fly. He tried to say that, well, she's really controlling the whole proceedings and the judge does everything <laughs> she says. So she's like a judge. OK, but she isn't and it didn't work. So in a nutshell, one main point of the First Amendment that we've had all the way back is that citizens can criticize the government. Yeah. So issues arise when the government uses the power of the government 
to prevent a citizen from criticizing the government. Now, Jack Smith, this is actually probably the only thing that the DOJ has done that I consider not completely strong. What Jack Smith did is he wants the court to issue an order preventing Trump from criticizing him. So because both the special counsel and the court have government power, the gag order would be using government power to prevent a citizen from criticizing the government. Now, there are okay. other potential issues as well. So the D.C. order says that Trump cannot make any public statements that target and then lists a bunch of people. There's a problem with the word target. We have a, a legal doctrine called the vagueness doctrine, which says that laws or orders that create criminal liability have to state explicitly what conduct is punishable. So what does vague, what does target mean? He can't mention them. Only if his speech crosses a line, well, what's the line? So there's a, a vagueness issue. Another problem with the, with the D.C. gag order is that um, he's not supposed to talk about the witnesses uh, or target witnesses, but two problems with that. One is that the witnesses are public figures. And the other is, and special, special standards do apply to public figures. So if you say your neighbor is a stupid moron and your neighbor might be able to sue you for libel. But if you say the president of the United States is a stupid moron, nobody's going to, the president's not going to sue you for libel because he's a public figure. So you're supposed to be allowed to criticize public figures. But some of the witnesses are public figures. Some of them, as he argues, are running against him um, or have been running against him. And some of these very public figures are asked questions in interviews. So how fair is it that public figures are allowed to talk about him and he's not allowed to respond. I see. Another issue is that potential witnesses might be too vague. The concept of a potential witness. Potential. Yeah. So he's supposed to like not talk about anybody who might. So there's some vagueness issues. So there's a few like things about the DC gag order that let's say um, raise interesting First Amendment issues. Like they need to be more specifics. Right. And right. as far as Right. Nobody really knows like what the court's going to do, but I can give a prediction, even though I always hesitate to do predictions because um, nobody really knows what a court's going to do. They do surprise us. Um, and I, my crystal ball, you know, I don't have one. Um, but the most likely outcome is that the gag order will be reinstated with tweaks and modifications to make it constitutional. In other words, I think okay. there will be a gag order, but I think that some of the issues that are problematic will probably be tweaked. That's my best guess. Yeah. And again, none of this has anything to do with the merits of the case against him. This is all gag order stuff. So he's just allowed to keep attacking Jack Smith, even though he knows that means he's Jack Smith's probably getting death threats from crazed mega fans and followers. I mean, there's the question of doesn't it seem like he's getting away with things that no other criminal defendant would ever get away with? Okay, so if Trump's attacks, so we're talking about now special counsel. If Trump's verbal right. attacks on the special counsel cross the line and become criminal incitement, then the prosecutor can file charges. Now, so far, the prosecutor has not alleged that his verbal attacks rise to the level of criminal incitement. Um, they have not done that. The, the laws for criminal incitement is a, is a very high standard. You're allowed to say, let's go out and fight. There's a lot. Of, it's a very high standard. And then you have the issue of people say, well, he's, he's got a huge megaphone, so it should, there should be different laws. What's interesting is that these are the same people who say he's getting special treatment. 
they want to make a special law for him. So far, there isn't one. There's no law that says if you have a huge megaphone, then different speech rules apply. You know, people say, well, Trump has millions and millions of followers. And so when he attacks the DOJ, the DOJ starts getting death threats. But if I went around saying Jack Smith is a crazy lunatic, nobody's going to pay any attention to me. Right. So if he crosses the line and his incitement is criminal, they can file charges. So they just have to wait until he crosses the line, until he's like, go murder him, which he won't do because he's very smart. (laughs) He's very good at sort of talking in circles like, boy, would it be too bad if something happened to him? He talks like that. I think he's very good at that. But you have to he has to just wait till he crosses the line. Right. Generally, that's the case. And here's why. One of the other presumptions in First Amendment law is there's a presumption against prior restraints. And so that's actually what freedom of the press first meant, that you can say anything you want, but then if you say something criminal, you can be held liable for it. So you don't gag the press. You don't say you can't talk anything about this. You let them do what they want. And then if they reveal national secrets or whatever they do, then there's criminal proceedings. You can go after them, you know, whatever the law allows. But there is a bias against prior restraints. Right. Okay. So you can't just arrest and convict someone because they're likely to commit a crime. There's like a due process problem with that, right? And you've said that. Right. In this case, it would be pretrial detention. So pretrial detention also raises due process concerns because technically you have punishment before a person's convicted. Okay. So pretrial detention does happen. Um, The Supreme Court said you can have pretrial detention, but in order to comport with due process, there's a very high standard. But I'm sure you can understand why people are feeling justifiably frustrated, right? Because it feels like, it feels like if any other defendant said the kind of things Trump is saying about prosecutors or witnesses, they'd be thrown in jail. Doesn't it seem like he's getting special treatment? Well, this is what a lot of people are saying. I know because I get dozens of comments and just those words. Um, First, I'll respond to the substance of your comments. Then I want to talk about the comments themselves. Let's start with If any other defendant said the kinds of things Trump is saying, they'd be thrown in jail. We don't know because no other defendant made this an issue. So we have no appellate court proceedings on point. And here's why. Most defendants follow the good advice of their lawyers and shut up. The last thing they do is go around attacking the judge, attacking the prosecutor, or attacking witnesses. Most defendants are smart enough to try not to antagonize the judge or the prosecutor. Prosecutors in courts have a lot of power. If you're a defendant or a potential defendant on social media attacking a prosecutor, it's a little like said Jim Croce song, spitting into the wind or pulling the mask off the old Lone Ranger. It's even more insane to attack potential witnesses. Can you imagine if you're going to be tried for a crime and there are potential witnesses against you, you're going to publicly go out and attack them, go out of your way to make them angry? No, that seems really dumb. (laughs) Because most defendants don't behave this way, the people in the past who have received gag orders are the lawyers who are out there talking. Sometimes prosecutors have been gagged because they're talking in ways that that bias public opinion against the defendant that isn't fair. Putting a gag order on lawyers or prosecutors is easy because lawyers and prosecutors are officers of the court. So the judge has a particular kind of power over them. One rationale for silencing them is that they can undermine the fairness of the trial and the trial is supposed to happen in the courtroom. 
But right. what if the person who wants to talk is the defendant? Can you shut him up because he might undermine his own trial? In this case, the defendant wants to talk. And because the Supreme Court has never set out the standard for when a defendant can be gagged, we have a gap in the law. So gaps are interesting because we're about to learn something new. What is the standard for putting a gag order on a defendant who wants to talk about his own case? Hmm. Again, I expect the gag order will be reinstated with tweaks to make it constitutional, but it does raise interesting First Amendment issues. Yeah, it certainly does. It's all new. It is. And okay, so you had made these comments. I said I was going to talk about those too. So you said, if any other defendant said the kinds of things Trump said, they'd be thrown in jail, right? That kind of thing. Yeah. And Trump gets away with things you and I can't get away with. He gets special treatment. So now that we've gone through the facts, you can see that those are, I call them rage-inducing simplifications because they take a complex situation and they simplify it into a short phrase that's inaccurate because it's simplified and it induces rage. And these are very common on social media. People see them and repeat them. That's why we hear them all the time. That's why I get dozens and dozens of the same comments. Um, Some people even make them into memes for easy sharing. So these simplifications have, I see two causes. First, the criminal justice system and our legal system have grown very complex. And second, in our current media environment, people are not getting enough facts and explanations. It's like there's no room for nuance, right? Everyone is kind of this armchair expert. Then then they don't really listen to actual experts or even understand actual experts because that's not their field of study, right? It, it reminds me of the conversations we're having online right now about the Middle East, right? These are thousands of year old conflicts. These are deeply uh, nuanced arguments that we need to be having. And we can't do that on social media, right? Like it's just too complicated. And it's the same thing with the criminal justice system. Right. People want things simple without understanding that if we simplify too far, we lose the truth. It drives me insane when people who claim to be progressive or liberal want to simplify the criminal justice system. Now, a hundred years ago, the criminal justice system was very simple. Justice was swift and crude. A person could go swiftly from being accused of a crime to hanging from a tree. In the 19th and 20th centuries, it didn't take long to gather evidence. Police could beat confessions out of people. The police could search a house without a warrant. This is because the 14th Amendment was added to the Constitution after the Civil War. And before then, the Bill of Rights applied only to the federal government. So local governments and law enforcement could do whatever they wanted. That's how we had slavery. So the transition from the crude 19th century system to our complex modern system happened because of civil rights activists like Thurgood Marshall and Polly Murray. They looked around and they saw that the criminal justice system was like a conveyor belt. They also knew it fell more heavily on black men. Their idea wasn't to make it easier to put white people in prison. Their idea was to create procedures to make it harder to put anyone in jail. Their goal was to turn a conveyor belt into an obstacle course with the idea that lots of procedures and safeguards would help achieve due process for everyone. So the complexity is to create fairness and to ensure due process for everyone. It was put in place by civil rights leaders. That's why it drives me a little nuts when liberals and progressives complain about how cumbersome the criminal justice system is. Just throw them in jail already takes us back to the 19th century, which was far more authoritarian and much less democratic. 
Yeah, it's almost like we need it to go slow if we want it to be fair and just and not be just tossing people in jail, even if that tossing person is someone we really, really wish would just go away. Okay, so you said these simplifications have two causes, right? First, the criminal justice system and our legal system have grown like really complex. And then second, the current media environment that people aren't getting enough facts and explanations. So could you talk to me a little bit about the second part, our current media environment and how that plays into this? Right. We're currently in a major information disruption. So winter is here in all of its glory. And for so many people, that means struggling to find the right temperature when they sleep. Did you know that your temperature at night has one of the greatest impacts on the quality of your sleep? If you're one of those people who wakes up too hot or too cold, then I highly recommend you check out Miracle Made Bedsheets. Inspired by NASA, Miracle Made uses silver-infused fabrics to make temperature-regulating bedding so you can sleep at the perfect temperature all night long. Miracle Made's silver-infused sheets are not only thermoregulating, but also prevent up to 99.7% of bacterial growth, leaving them to stay cleaner and fresher three times longer than other sheets. Plus, they're just really nice, deliciously high quality without the horrible high price. See for yourself. Go to trymiracle.com slash politicsgirl to try it today or gift it to someone special this holiday season. And we've got a special deal right now for our listeners. Save over 40% off. And when you use our promo code politicsgirl at checkout, you'll also get three free towels and save an extra 20%. That's a real deal. And Miracle is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you aren't 100% satisfied, you will get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep today with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash politicsgirl and use the code politicsgirl to claim your free three-piece towel set. Again, saving over 40%. That's trymiracle.com slash politicsgirl to treat yourself, a friend, or a loved one this holiday season. If you're like me, morning coffee is non-negotiable. But buying one every day can get ludicrously expensive, and the whole process of making one at home can be quite time-consuming. I'm not even going to start on those terrible cups of coffee you get in hotels or business centers, or the kind my husband has to drink on the side of a mountain, which is why I'm really excited to introduce you to one of our newest sponsors, AeroPress. AeroPress is like a French press. It uses a patented three-in-one brew technology that combines the best of several brew methods into one portable device, giving you a smooth, rich, full-bodied coffee without the bitterness and grit you get from other presses. Plus, AeroPress brews and cleans in less than two minutes. You just add medium, fine coffee grounds, pour in hot water, stir for five seconds, brew for 30 seconds, and press into your favorite mug to drink. AeroPress can brew thousands of recipes, which probably explains why it's the favorite home brewing tool of baristas and the best reviewed coffee press in the world, with more than 55,000 five-star reviews. That kind of positive feedback speaks volumes and makes it the perfect holiday gift or stocking stuffer for any coffee lover in your life. As an added bonus, AeroPress is also shockingly affordable, less than $50. And right now we've got an incredible offer for our audience when they visit aeropress.com slash politicsgirl. That's A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash politicsgirl and save up to 20%. Aeropress.com slash politicsgirl to save up to 20%. Ditch the drive through toss the French press and say yes to better mornings fueled by better coffee. AeroPress ships to the U.S. and over 60 countries around the world. Thank you, AeroPress, for sponsoring this show. 
For those of you who don't know, I have an incredibly rare lung disease. And although the scarring in my lungs is where the disease originates, it's my heart that's actually affected. So I know firsthand how important heart health is to your body, which is why I'm pleased to be talking about Humans Superbeat Heart Chews. Superbeat Heart Chews are an easy and convenient way to support healthy blood pressure and promote heart-healthy energy. They're plant-based and stimulant-free, so you get that green boost without all the jitters. Paired with a healthy lifestyle, the antioxidants in Superbeats are clinically shown to be nearly two times more effective at promoting normal blood pressure than a healthy lifestyle alone. Superbeats is the number one doctor, pharmacist, and cardiologist recommended beet brand for cardiovascular health support, which means it's blood pressure support you can trust. If you find yourself drinking too much coffee or power drinks to keep your energy up, you can switch to Superbeat Heart Chews used by college athletes and pro sports teams to support your performance and endurance. Double your potential with Superbeat Heart Chews. Get a free 30-day supply of Superbeat Heart Chews and 15% off your first order by going to getsuperbeats.com and using the promo code POLITICSGIRL. That's getsuperbeats.com, code POLITICSGIRL. Think of all you can do with one little chew. It's the holiday season, so that means gift giving, and it's hard to figure out what to get for people. But what if you could get them the gift of a restful night's sleep? Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Do you know someone who has trouble sleeping or staying asleep? Someone with noisy neighbors or someone who can't sleep on vacation? Maybe it's just you who's tried other sleep supplements but hasn't had any success. We all know that sleep is the foundation of our mental and physical health and that it affects our performance throughout the day. If we're not getting enough sleep or the quality is off, so is our life. If we want to feel good, then a consistent nighttime routine that offers us true rest is non-negotiable. Beam Dream is a science-backed healthy hot cocoa for sleep. While other sleep aids can cause next day grogginess, Beam contains a powerful all-natural blend of reishi, magnesium, L-theanine, melatonin, and nano-CBD to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. The numbers don't lie. In a clinical study, 93% of participants reported Dream helped them get a better sleep. You just mix Beam Dream into hot water or milk, froth, and enjoy before bed. And today, my listeners get a special discount on Beam Dream Powder, their best-selling hot cocoa for sleep with no added sugar. Now available in delicious flavors like chocolate peanut butter, cinnamon cocoa, and sea salt caramel with only 15 calories and zero grams of sugar. Find out why Forbes and the New York Times are talking about Beam and why it's trusted by the world's top athletes and business professionals. If you want to try Beam's best-selling dream powder, get up to 40% off for a limited time when you go to shopbeam.com slash politicsgirl and use the code politicsgirl at checkout. That's shopbeam.com slash politicsgirl for up to 40% off. Beam Dream. Better sleep has never tasted better. Do you know that when your garbage gets picked up every week, almost half of it is food waste? Food waste doesn't just stink up the kitchen, it stinks up the planet with a ton of methane, which is why we love our Lomi. It's absolutely changed the way our family deals with food waste. It's the biggest innovation in the modern day kitchen since the dishwasher. Lomi is a countertop electric composter that turns food scraps into plant food in under four hours. It's smart, simple food recycling that takes up very little space. You guys have seen my rants. My kitchen is not big. I don't have room for the bananas, but we found room for the Lomi. We know the planet is facing a major crisis. So any steps we could take to limit our family's personal carbon footprint, we were gonna do it. 
So instead of sending our kitchen waste to a landfill, we can help the environment and turn it into an all-natural fertilizer. And now with Lomi's new app, you can track your environmental impact, earn points for every cycle, and redeem points for freebies from Lomi and other great brands. This is one of the only kitchen appliances that has a full, no questions asked, lifetime warranty on all their devices. And that's not all. Lomi looks after their customers from day one and beyond, automatically upgrading your Lomi device every three years. If you guys listen to the show, you know I love this machine. Whether you wanna start making a positive environmental impact or just grow a beautiful garden, Lomi is perfect for you. Head to Lomi.com slash politics girl and use the promo code politics girl to get $50 off your Lomi. That's $50 off when you head to lomi.com slash politicsgirl and use the promo code politicsgirl at checkout. As always, thank you Lomi for sponsoring this episode. They really are such awesome machines. We're currently in a major information disruption. In the old days, there were a few major networks. People got their news from a local newspaper or the evening news. It was mostly facts and it was boring. Well, news should be boring, Terry. I would take someone trustworthy and reliable like Walter Cronkite any day, right? It's this 24-hour news cycle that's killing us. It's news as entertainment that's disrupting our whole society as far as I'm concerned. Right. Back when there were just a few networks, the networks went out of their way to present calm, neutral content to appeal to as large a segment of the population as possible. Because there were only a few networks, there wasn't competition for clicks and viewers. Advertisements in newspapers and commercials on TV funded the media companies. Then, in the 80s and the 90s, all that started breaking down. First, the major networks fragmented. Fox was formed in the late 80s, MSNBC in the late 90s. Instead of being neutral, these media outlets played to their audiences. Then the internet happened, fracturing media audiences into distinct bubbles, and these bubbles are getting smaller. Yeah, and losing the fairness doctrine probably didn't help either. When the Reagan administration got rid of that, it was the birth of right-wing radio and people like Rush Limbaugh, you know, just spilling hate and disinformation out there for profit. And now it feels like a lot of us are just fragmented into these you know, echo chambers, and we're looking for news that confirms what we already believe, right? This confirmation bias. Right. And the fragmenting also changed how media is funded. So media is now driven by clicks and sensational rage inducing material gets clicks and hooks readers. And it's aimed at smaller segments of the population. So wonky and detailed explanations don't get clicks. Basically, we're in a click driven 24 hour media environment where sensational content is competing for your attention. Instead of being yeah. neutral and fact-based and boring, the news becomes highly partisan and tries to keep viewers hooked. As Fox figured out a long time ago, the easiest way to do that is to keep people riled. Now, because of this fragmented, 24-hour, click-driven, hyper-partisan news environment, droplets of facts get lost in the fire hose of misunderstandings, speculations, and opinions. That's where the simplifications come from. And because the system is complex... And because people are bombarded with rage-inducing simplifications that generate clicks and engagement, people get caught in a misinformation outrage cycle. And the cycle goes like this. People get bad information, which enrages them, and then they repeat the bad information to 10,000 other people on social media, and then it spreads. And pretty soon, you have an entire 
portion of the population losing its grip on facts. Right. This is a problem because democracy draws its authority from rule of law, which relies on facts. So when a portion of the population lets go of facts, democracy is in danger. That's where we are now. That's where we are now. Right. Yeah. And if we're not dealing with facts, then it's like, what are we doing? You know, that's why we keep saying democracy requires an educated population, right? A population that understands how it's supposed to work. That's why we, we should have had civics back in schools, why people should understand how the whole thing functions so they can properly analyze the implications of these government policies or the implications of how the law works. Democracy requires voters to look beyond what they personally want and consider the interests of their society as a whole. And it requires people who are aware of the appeal of a demigod, someone that comes in and says, you know, I, oh, I alone can fix it. Just let me scoot the law here and I'll, I'll make it better for you. And then says, no, that's not how our system works. And then we can all withstand that appeal. That's what it feels like to me. And we're just not quite educated enough to do that, which leads us, you know, in danger of a rising authoritarianism, which is sort of what we're seeing now, right? And we say we're not educated enough for the criminal justice system is very complicated. Um, yeah, very complicated. I mean, most people haven't been to law school or haven't taken, you know, courses in how this works. And, um, and just as democracy requires rule of law and truth, authoritarianism is based on lies. And so the problem with the misinformation outrage cycle is just that. It spreads misinformation, which undermines rule of law and activates authoritarian Im impulses in people. Right. And of course... You saying that about the misinformation outrage cycle, it feels like a good segue into that new series you're currently doing on the misinformation outrage cycle. But before we go on to that, I just want to get your take on how you think the January 6th case, the Florida stolen documents case, and the Georgia Rico case are going to play out after they move on from these pretrial motions. What what do you think people should be looking for moving forward? I feel like the January 6th and the Georgia Rico case are kind of done deal convictions. It feels like pretty good shot. But that documents case in Florida is going to be a bit of a mess with that Judge Eileen Cannon. What do you think about that? Well, an interesting thing is happening with the Florida case. Of all the judges Trump drew in all of these cases, Cannon is obviously the most sympathetic and the one most likely to put her thumb on the scale for him. Right now, right. he's trying to delay the trials. She's the only one letting him. That means he will go to trial first in the cases where the judges are not putting their thumb on the scale for him. By the time we get to a case with Cannon presiding, we will likely already have the results of the DOJ January 6th case, where he's very likely to be convicted. It could be that by the time we get to the Cannon case, it won't matter much. It's those first cases that are the most widely watched. I'd want to go to trial first with a judge who might help me out. Um, now for a quick look at the Georgia Rico case. It's very complicated, so it's hard to take a quick look at it. It appears that the strategy was to charge lots and lots of defendants as a way to get the bulk of them to flip against the head honchos, which would be Giuliani and Trump. Okay. The problem is that the trial in Georgia, particularly for Trump, will not happen soon. I think now they're talking about next August, but we'll see if that holds. The reason, of course, is that the RICO statutes are very complicated and charging lots of people creates more complication. Now, the RICO statute may end up raising some interesting constitutional issues. Now, the DOJ in the Washington, D.C. case took the opposite approach. They streamlined the indictment. They did not name lots of co-conspirators. Instead, they named unindicted co-conspirators. 
Right. They obviously have their goods on the unindicted co-conspirators, but they settled on the strategy of streamlining, streamlining the case because without co-defendants, there are fewer procedural hurdles to slow things down. Right. And the Georgia case that did name the co-conspirators, a number of those people have, as you said, already flipped on Trump or made a deal with the prosecution. And I'm thinking of people like Sidney Powell and Jenna Ellis and Kenneth Cheesebro. What does that kind of thing mean for Trump? And do those and do those people who also kind of lied and would have been fine overturning the government and destroying democracy for their own power position in the new order, those people just get to walk? Well, Powell and Ellis and Cheesebro took plea deals. They're getting probation and a small fine. Now, most criminal prosecutions end with plea deals. The American Bar Association just announced that 98% of criminal prosecutions in the past year ended in plea deals, which is the number I expect. Now, defense lawyers have some issues with this. Um, I won't go into the defense lawyers' issues with this, but um, these high, by the way, the high percentage of plea deals is one reason that defendants don't generally attack prosecutors. They're hoping for a sweet deal. Um, so they stay quiet while their lawyers try to persuade the prosecutor that he got the wrong guy or the defendant's really a good person or whatever. So because these were sweet deals so far for Trump's co-defendants, one of two things happened. Either the prosecution realized its case against them isn't very strong, or the defendants have valuable testimony or some other contribution. So I'd be careful with the word flip because cooperation has degrees to it. Just because somebody took a plea deal and agreed to testify, we don't really know what they will say, how reliable they are as witnesses. We don't know what happened in those closed door negotiations. Um, The prosecution has a good idea what they will say, but we don't. But it's probably safe to assume that they gave up something valuable for a sweet deal. Yeah, let's just assume that. Let's just safely (laughs) assume they gave up something valuable. And then, as you said, we have these six unnamed co-conspirators in the January 6th trial. And I'm thinking these people are, as you said, they're unnamed, but they're not unnoticed. The Jack Smith simply wanted that trial to move quickly and... One person stalling is still faster than seven people stalling. It's my hope, and I think it's Jack Smith's probably plan, that that case is concluded before the 2024 election, and then the other six people will be charged. Do you agree with that assessment? That's my guess as well. Yeah. Okay. So before I have you go, um, I do want to get back for a second to that new six-part blog post called The Misinformation Outrage Cycle. Can you just give us a little insight on that? Uh, though I do think that most people should be going to terrycanefield.com and reading it for themselves because you write so beautifully and sometimes that's the clearest way. But would you give us a little insight on this new blog series? Sure. Well, I wrote the series because I realized I spent so much of my time tamping down misinformation. We know there are conspiracy <laughs> theories in the right-wing information ecosystem. There are also conspiracy theories and misinformation in what we might call the CNN, MSNBC, left-leaning social media ecosystem. Conspiracy theories are just allegations that remain unsubstantiated. Basically, they attempt to explain... Wait, say that again. Say that again. Conspiracy theories are what? Are allegations that remain unsubstantiated. So that means they haven't been proven, basically. That, they're, that they haven't been proven, um, but people think they've been proven. So if you think that, um, you know, there are microchips in uh, vaccines or whatever it is 
that they think you believe it's true because the evidence you were shown seems conclusive, but they're actually right. not proven true, but people can be- right. believe them. Main thing about a conspiracy, what makes it a conspiracy theory, as opposed to just something insane and wrong, is that they assume that powerful people are operating in the shadows as bad actors, deliberately keeping people in the dark. There's a nefarious actors at work. So it doesn't have to be unhinged. So it doesn't have to involve presidents returning from the dead or microchips and vaccines. It just has to assign blame for a confusing situation. Okay, so what are some examples of conspiracy theories that you've seen in left-leaning social media or left-leaning media? Because we know the ones in right-wing. We know the right-wing ones. So give me some left-wing ones. I remember this one. Um, Nancy Pelosi is refusing to impeach Trump because she's in partnership with Russian oligarchs. Now, this was real in the months before the first impeachment. An influential person, I don't want to name, who regularly appeared on news shows advances theory. It arises the way conspiracy theories arise. One, people face a situation they don't understand. In this case, why hasn't Nancy Pelosi impeached Trump? Now, scholars of impeachment knew exactly why she hadn't. Law professors who wrote books about impeachment knew why she hadn't, but people didn't get it. So if they don't understand it, they look for a way to assign blame. And they believe that unseen forces are at work. And in partnership with Russian oligarchs worked because that's what everybody was talking about at the time with Trump in partnership. So another one, in the lead up to the election, there was a large influential left-wing account um, insisting that the voting machines in Georgia could be easily hacked and the election was in danger of bad actors who were planning to exploit the weakness in these voting machines. I had very reasonable people coming to me with this. Now, this one drove me nuts because at the time I was actually doing voter protection work in Georgia. I was on the voter protection committee in Georgia. And one of my legal tasks as a volunteer, I actually rewrote the voter manual for the Democratic Party in Georgia. So I knew something about these machines. But every time I said, no, actually, the machines are quite secure. People called me naive, told me I was wrong, laughed at me and referred me to people who claimed to be experts. One more. My favorite. I think we talked about this one last time I was here. Merrick Garland initially refused to investigate Trump because he was afraid of angering powerful people. Now, if any of your viewers are out there thinking, wait, that one's true, go to my website, find the pin post that begins with, there are no Yankees here and start reading. If you know these things aren't true, you might want to read the series anyway, because I think it will shed some light on what we have to do to counter this in order to maintain a democracy. Any kind of misinformation is dangerous. Yeah. And you know a few things about misinformation because you just wrote a book about disinformation, didn't you? I did. Um, it's a gra- <laughs> actually, a, it's a graphic novel. It's actually a graphic. I wrote oh, the cool. text of a graphic novel. I know it was very, did you just say cool? Yeah, cool. It's the first book I ever wrote that might be cool because it's, <laughs> it's a graphic novel. Um, <laughs> So it's, um, and the illustrator was brilliant. And you can find information about that on my website. Um, It's not out yet. It's called Firehose of Falsehood. And the premise is that lies destroy and that disinformation terrors at the fabric of democracy. And in Firehose of Falsehood, I broke down disinformation tactics and offered tools for restoring truth. I tried to do that in my series on the blog as well. 
You're so good at it. Honestly, Terry, you guys, if you're not listening to Terry uh, in the things that she does or you're not reading her stuff, please go to her website and start reading it because she puts things so succinctly and she's got a, such a clever mind to put things together in a way that we can understand it because really we can't keep living in this fire hose of disinformation. We can't just do it. I mean, what did you call it? Fire hose of falsehood? I love that. That's That's exactly right. I mean, please go and look at Terry's stuff because honestly... We need to kind of get it together. I want to I want to thank you so much for joining us today, Terry. Your insight on this necessarily complicated world of law because we want it to be complicated. We want it to be an obstacle course and not just a direct uh, shot to jail because it serves all of us. But like your necessary understanding of it is fundamental to us right now. And I hope people will go out and check out your stuff and even pre-order what sounds like a great graphic novel. I always have a great time talking to you. So thank you. So that was Terry Canfield reminding us not to succumb to rage-inducing simplifications of complicated legal and constitutional issues. The Trump trials are still in pretrial motions. The prosecutors are doing what they do, and these cases are moving forward no matter what the misinformation outrage cycle might have us believe. Trump can say what he wants until he crosses a line into incitement because we don't actually have that much precedent for defendants wanting to talk this much. Georgia's co-defendants will continue to make deals with the prosecution and hopefully create an open and shut case against the biggest players. And the unnamed co-conspirators in D.C. will have their day in court after we deal with Trump. And while we might have a judge in Florida that has her finger on the scale, by the time we get to her trial, it might not even matter that much. There's a lot going on, and I understand people's frustration with it not moving fast enough. But we want a justice system that makes it hard to lock people up, not easy. That's the kind of justice system Trump wants if he gets back into power. Lock up my enemies without due process. We can't set that precedent for him now. I want to thank Terry for joining us today and you for caring enough about democracy to be here. Now, maybe don't share that meme that hasn't been fully researched. Until next week, PG out. The Politics Girl podcast is written and performed by me, Lee McGowan, in partnership with the Midas Media Network and produced and edited by Happy Warrior Entertainment. All rights reserved.